the sermon this morning, would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you be present in this place. That Holy Spirit, you convict our hearts to what you want us to be. And God, I ask that your word not fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts, but Lord, that it would fall on fertile soil. That we may hear your word and do what it says. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of life. And Lord, as we continue to talk about biblical leadership, I pray, Lord, that this church, Rosebud Christian Church, would be in line with what your word teaches and that you would receive the glory. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're going to play a quick game this morning. And uh, in this game, there are there are no prizes. Um, if you really, really want a prize and you're just bummed out that, that you get the right answer and you're like, I really want a prize, Dan, come up to me after the service. I'll give you a high five, a hug, or a handshake, whatever you want. Uh, fist bump, um, if it really means that much to you. Uh, I'm going to name a few words, and I want you to tell me what they have in common. Okay? Overseer, presbyter, bishop. Shepherd, pastor, leaders, what's one word, elders, it's all the same word for an elder, overseer, I'll leave it to an elder to get that right, uh, overseer, presbyter, which is where we get the name presbyterian, uh, the Presbyterian Church has uh, not a board of elders. They call them uh, a board of presbyters uh, normally. Um, bishops, shepherds, pastor. All the same word for elder. Now, elders were put into place in the New Testament church to oversee and to guide the local congregation. They were put there for a reason, and they were charged with the day-to-day -day direction of the church. They were charged with however they decided to lead the church spiritually or the day-to-day -day operation of the church was all decided in the early church by a group of elders. And that's what they did. They prayed for, they ministered to the body, the flock. Some churches believe now in our day and age that the pastor is the chief and only elder. And so then they place a board of deacons underneath the elder or, or the pastor. A lot of the Baptist churches run that way where the Baptist pastor is the one and only elder and in charge. And then the board of deacons are his associates and assistants. And folks, it's just not what the Bible says. The Bible clearly speaks of a plurality of elders. So not just one guy in charge, but a plurality of them, which means more than one. And so we see this example in James 5.14 where he says, uh, tells the readers to go to the elders of the church and ask for prayer. So I'm a very firm believer that an elder is one that is part of a group of other elders, not the only elder. And within this group of elders... The, the responsibility of the church is shared. Never in a group of elders should there be 
one elder who tells all the elders what to do. But it should be a plurality of shared responsibilities. And it should be based on the gifts that each elder brings to the table. But nonetheless, the responsibility should not fall on one man. We see this idea in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, too, where, where uh, Moses' father-in-law realizes how much it's, it's hurting Moses and paining Moses to have to take care of everything that the Israelites are going through. All the, all the stuff, all the, all the disciplinary stuff, all the things that need to be handled. And Jethro comes to Moses and says, listen, you need a support group. You need to divvy this up among other people. You see, we were never meant to tackle this life, let alone the leadership of a church, by ourselves. It takes a plurality. These men have a tremendous job. And today we continue in our series on biblical leadership with Elders Part 2. Understand this this morning. That as we talk about biblical leadership, I want to challenge everyone here to listen. You, you may not be a man who desires to be a, a biblical or a leader in the church, an elder, whatever. Uh, but I want you to understand that for men and women, what we're about to read is good to implement in our lives. It's good to live Christ-like, even if you're not an elder in the church. This is how we should be living anyway. These are just requirements to be an elder. But this is stuff that the Bible speaks of time and time again that all of us as believers in Jesus Christ should be living. So don't tune out just because we're talking about elders. It's important that we understand God's design in the church. If we don't understand God's design in the church, we start implementing man's ideas. And we know what happens when man's ideas take over what scripture says. We can see that all around us in the, in the world of, the, of Christianity and the church today. We want to stick to what scripture says. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 is our passage. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be verses 1 through 7. Qualifications for overseers. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be re a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. What a list. What a list. Today, as we look at this, we have to understand something before we get started. Paul opens up and writes that the office of an overseer is a noble task. It's a noble task. It's, 
And notice he doesn't say it's, it's just the position to be filled. It's a noble task. This is something that is not to be taken lightly. That the position of elder is not to just be looked at as, yeah, I can do that. And then you get there and you just kind of slough off your responsibilities. It is a noble task. Notice the qualifications. Do not mention Bible college. They don't mention seminary or religious higher education. It's not a requirement to have gone to Bible college in order to be an elder. What is required is character. It's character. And not just your character as a person, but godly Christ-like character. Not to be done just willy-nilly, but taken as a noble task. The character of the person trumps any education they might have. Character equals trust. Trust equals leadership. Character is key in an eldership. So let's take a look deeper into biblical eldership this morning. What I've done is I've taken these qualifications and I've grouped them up into uh, what I'm calling categories of responsibilities as an elder. The first category of responsibility is responsibility to God. First and foremost, an elder has a responsibility to God. And this responsibility to God trumps all other responsibilities. Church, as a Christian, your responsibility to God trumps all other responsibilities. There's a reason that the great commandment is to love God and then to love others. Because if you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will be able to properly love those other people around you, including your families. First and foremost, your responsibility is to God. Notice it says to be a man that understands and that's a noble task. That this position is not anything that is a, uh, any, anything to be taken lightly or lighthearted. The words of an elder, to describe an elder, are always masculine. And there's a reason for that. Because only men can serve as elders. Always, in Timothy and Titus, when you see an overseer, it's always in a masculine sense. The words describe an elder as a man that he desires a noble task. They are to be above reproach. No one should have anything against you. Now, you're always going to have people who don't care for you, who really don't like you, but there should not be anything against you, meaning there should, no be, there should be no charges against you. There should be nothing that they say, you know, this man is a rotten, rotten person. Above reproach, your life should reflect the character of who? Jesus. And despite people maybe not liking you, they cannot say anything against that. That you have the character of Christ. You're not perfect, but you strive to live with integrity. I want you to know, folks, elders are going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. So if we put a man in eldership and we say, all right, mistakes are done, 
<laughs> it's not going to happen. They're human. But they try to live with integrity. They must be able to teach as a responsibility to God. We kind of talked about this last week. An elder needs to have a good handle on Scripture. They need to understand what they believe. So that if somebody comes to them and says, what about this or this? They can answer that question. If they can't answer it, they can help find the answer for that. An elder doesn't have all the answers, but they should know what they believe. They should know what the Bible says about things. But they should also be willing to learn. They should be willing to be taught and led and trained. To get better at what they do. They need to be able to preach. They need to be able to preach. Every elder should have the capability to preach. Not that they like it, but they should be able to if they have to. I've met many men who are great elders, but preaching is not something they want to do or desire to do. And that's, that's fine, but in a pinch, you need to be able to. You need to know your scriptures so well that you can at least get up and ramble on about the truth of God. May not be making sense, but you should be able to present the truth of the scriptures. As a responsibility to God, they must not be a new convert. I was part of a church one time that put a man into leadership as an elder after a year of being a Christian. We shouldn't be doing that to people. They should not be a new convert. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be an old man. But they have to be in the faith a while. Because they need to know, again, what they believe. They need to have lived life in Christ to understand how to handle things. It shows maturity. Why is this? I think this qualification is here because God loves you too much. Because if you've ever been an elder, you know how hard it really is. How painful it is. How rejoicing it is and victorious it is. There's a lot of things that come with it and you need to be able to understand and handle those things. God loves us too much just to throw us in a position that we're not familiar with without training first. And at this church, what I've implemented with our elders is elder training. Right now, every meeting, we go through a book called Biblical Eldership. And we learn what the scriptures say about being an elder. And that's what we aspire to have anyone who's going to become an elder of our church go through before they become an elder so that they understand that, I, that we care for them. We don't want to just throw them in a position and say, good luck, <laughs> Godspeed, I'm out of here. <laughs> We want you to understand what the Bible is asking you to do so that as a church, we are leading with integrity. We're leading towards God. And we want to do it biblically. Second category is family, uh, responsibility to family. Paul writes that they must be a... Now, I, I ministered for 15 plus years in the Utah and Idaho area. And out there, even though it's illegal, you come across a lot of polygamy. Now, why any man would want more than one wife, 
I have no idea. I can't handle the one I have. But to bring on three or four, biblically speaking, we should not be practicing that. We should be a one-woman man. One wife that we love with everything we, that we are as Christ loved the church. Committed to your wife. Eyes only for her. Eyes only for her. To take care of her. Now notice, it doesn't say that you have to be married. That's something in the church, I don't know where we've got that, but we think, oh, if you're an elder, you have to marry. That's not what the scriptures say. If you are married, you're a one-woman man. Otherwise, that contradicts what Paul says to the Corinthian church when he said it's better for a man not to be married. So he may focus on the ministry. But if you're married, it needs to be a one-woman man. They need to be a successful father. Now, does that mean your kids are perfect? <laughs> no. I wish. <laughs> but that's not the case. You see, a successful father has, has nothing to do with whether your kids are perfect it means that you lead them in the ways of Jesus. That in your home, you will serve the Lord. That as a father, you will do your very best to raise your children to know who Jesus is. You can't force them to accept Christ, but you will make sure that they are, they are well-versed in what Scripture says. And that they understand that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin. You see, it's up to the parents to disciple their children. It's not the church's responsibility. It's you as parents. It's the church's responsibility to come alongside you and help equip you to do that. So you need to be a successful father. You are a pastor if you are a dad. If you are a dad, you are a pastor. For your family. They will look to you. And so will others. Other friends of your kids will look to you as well. If they're not getting at home what they need to get. Thirdly, we have a responsibility to self. Paul says to be sober minded. This means to be a temperate person. You can't fly off the handle. When you're getting angry, you need to know how to, who, to control that a little bit. As a leader, this is important. You don't go looking for controversy, but you live at peace in all things as much as you can. Now, there is time for righteous anger, but you need to be sober-minded as a leader. You need to be self-controlled. This, this is discipline. That's what this means, is you're disciplined. In your family, your health, and all the areas of your life, especially in your walk with Jesus. You are disciplined in that. It helps you to be self-controlled so that you can lead well. You're a man of the word. You're, you're God's 
agent to the world. So you need to know what the, world, what the word teaches. That's part of being self-controlled. Not given to drunkenness. This is part of self-control. If your accountability partners are Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, Samuel Adams, and the guy from the Dasakis commercial, you have a problem. If that's where you go for your, for your release, if that's where you go is to the alcohol, to the bottle in order to, to, uh, to de-stress, then there's an issue. Jesus should be your outlet. It should be Christ and Christ alone. When you go and you're having a stressful time, it should be the other brothers that you are surrounded with. This is why we have a plurality of elders. So that if one elder is feeling down or feeling stressed or feeling, feeling defeated, they have the other elders to come alongside them and to love them. This is why you train your families to love Jesus, because when you come home, you don't want to bring that stress to your family. So if it's the bottle that you're after in order to ease the pain, calm the stress, there might be something wrong. We can't be given to drunkenness. Not a lover of money. If greedy describes you, then that is what will be reflected in your leadership in a church. It's greed. If you use money to get your way, then you're a lover of money. If you use money in any other purpose than just to meet the needs and to, to do the things you need to do as a family, then there's something wrong. Money is not evil. We hear this all the time. Money is the root of all evil. Read the scripture again. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. Money in and of itself is an inanimate object. It does what your heart wants it to do. This is the, not to bring it up and talk and dwell on it too much, but this is the whole gun right, or the, the gun control debate. A gun is an inanimate object, and it does what the heart behind it wants it to do. It's not a gun issue. It's a heart condition. It's a people issue. It's the same thing with money. You can't love money. Because really, it's all God's anyway. It's God's. So why not do... With God's money, what he would have you do with God's money. Take care of the widows and the orphans. To love people. To succeed as a church and a community. Finally, you have a responsibility to others. You need to be respectable. Now you'll notice these are not in order of what the passage says, but I've clumped these into groups. You need to be respectful. An elder needs to be one who is loved and respected by others. 
Their life must resemble Christ for this kind of respect. Your life needs to look like Jesus. Again, it's not going to be perfect. None of us are. But you need to strive to live like Christ so that the respect can be there. It's kind of like being above reproach. So if you're a person who is demanding of respect, you're not respectable. You should not have to say, you will respect me. It's not really respectable. It's given to those who are Christ-like, who are meek, who are humble. Your character will determine the respect you get. You need to be hospitable. Now, this doesn't mean that you all are invited over whenever you want to come over. That's not what this means. A lot of times we think of hospi hosp being hospitable, mean, uh, hospitable, not hospital. Hospitable means that you just have people coming and going all the time. That's not what it actually means. It means it's having a welcoming, a welcoming attitude. That you're easy to talk to especially to visitors or unbelievers, that they, they just know that they can, they can come and they can just, just talk to you and you're welcoming and inviting. That when people come into this, this church, they should immediately see a hospitable place. That people are genuinely excited that they're there, that they're welcomed with open arms, no matter what they look like and what they're doing. That they can come here and we can love them. Because I'm a firm believer if you disciple someone in Christ, they will grow. And when they grow, they leave those other things behind. But too many times we as a church, we want people already prim and proper before they even get here. It's the wrong attitude. You come as you are. And we will love you to Jesus. And Jesus, he'll clean you up because that's what he does. It's our job to be hospitable. So the elders of the church should be the first line in that hospita uh, hospitality. They should be the one who are leading the charge because they must be hospitable themselves. It's being intentional in someone's life. Genuinely taken an interest in someone's life. They can't be violent. If you lose your temper easily, then this is probably not for you. If you fly off the handle, if they're just the, the littlest thing, eldership is not for you. Because I've sat in elders meetings for 20 years now. It'll be 20 years on the 18th of this month. In the last 20 years, I've seen almost fistfights. I've heard screaming. I've heard name-calling. I've seen chairs fly across the room. From men who could not control their tempers and shouldn't have been in that room in the first place. You have to have An attitude and character of Christ. 
violence and hot tempers will get you nowhere. It turns people away and leaves a sour taste. Now you can be passionate about something. And you need to be honest in, in, as an elder when you're trying to determine what, what's going on in the church and where you're going as a church. And you need to let yourself be heard, but you can do so in a nonviolent way. Paul says not to be quarrelsome. You can't go looking for someone to argue with. I've met a handful of people in my life that, um, that will say, man, I just, I just love a good argument. Or, oh, I just, I just, I just really like conflict. That's actually, I've actually met somebody. I, I hate conflict. I, I hate going to people and having to have conversations with them. I, I, but it has to be done, right? You don't avoid it. But you don't love it either. If you love that kind of stuff, eldership's not for you. You cannot be quarrelsome. Eldership requires people who seek peace and common ground. We all have agendas in life. But to not be quarrelsome requires an attitude of it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about his church and his leading. And finally, they need to be well thought of. As Paul wraps up this passage, this idea of being well thought of is, is something that we, I don't know, maybe we only take the qualification, uh, that one qualification we we implement it as we as we name people to be elders. I, I mentioned last week that a lot of times people are put in eldership because they're just well-liked people. As if that's the only qualification that it takes. But we have to take all these into consideration. Paul says in verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So I'm going to be more specific with that. Not just well thought of in the church, but by outsiders. That people in the community, if you were in a small town, you know you can't do anything without somebody seeing. I remember when I was a kid playing at the park, and we used to, we figured out that in this, in this gazebo in the park, which, you know, we had concerts at and stuff, it was all white. And we found out by accident that if you take off a, uh, a shingle and you fold it in half, you can vandalize and write all over the gazebo. So I remember one time we were at the park and we were playing basketball. I was just probably fourth or fifth grade. And, and, and I remember um, getting bored playing basketball. And so me and my friends decided we were going to climb all over the gazebo. And as we were doing that, we knocked the shingle off and we realized that it made a mark. And so we decided, hey, this is going to be great. And at that time, I didn't know Jesus. And so we took more shingles off and we wrote cuss words all over the place. All over the place. And I remember getting home, because in my, and maybe you were the same way, when the street lights came on, you had to be home. So I remember, and we lived in a town of 400, you could hear my mom screaming on the other side of town, Daniel, come home! Get on my bike, go home. This scream was a little bit different. 
What I didn't realize that a neighbor was watching across in the park and he called everyone or she called every one of our mothers. So when I got home, my mom was on the porch with a paddle. And I didn't know why. I knew why. I claimed I didn't know why. You can't do anything without somebody seeing. So as a leader, as a Christian man or a Christian woman, people are watching you. They're watching you. They're listening to you. They're trying to, and this is what the world likes to do, they like to pick you apart. Say, see, look what you did. Look what you said. They watch us. So as an elder, as a leader in the church, you must be well thought of in the community. That when they hear your name in con connection to your church as a leader, they say, yeah, good guy. What do people in the community think of you? Would people look to you and say, or to another person in your church, being, if you're being talked about, say, he's a good man. You see, you cannot be two-faced as a church leader. You have to be consistent. So I believe I speak on behalf of the elders here at this church. That we desire to do things biblically here. We don't always get it right. But I can tell you, it is the, the desire of these elders to do what the Bible says. And that's commendable to me. We desire that it, this is Jesus' church, not ours. And I believe if we could all understand that as, as just members of the church, it, that this isn't, a, this isn't our church. Yeah, we grew up here, or, or you, know, you came here later on in life, or however you came here. This isn't ours. This is God's church. And when we have the idea that this is God's church, then everything we do will be done to glorify him. He must lead. So every day we must examine ourselves to see where we are in our relationship with Jesus, to make sure he is our focus, that he is our leader. You see, effective leadership in the church happens when the leaders know how to follow Jesus. Biblical leadership is truly, truly a noble task. To be an elder is something that is, no, is of a noble task. But so is your life. Living for Jesus, whether you're an elder or not, is a noble task. People are watching. You may not have to seek out to be a leader in the church, but people nonetheless are still watching because you still reflect the one you believe in regardless of where you are in the church. So you may not want to seek out being an elder. Or you may not want to seek out being a deacon or just serving in the church, but people are still watching you, seeing how you live the faith you profess. So I challenge you today to begin to live out these biblical principles. Don't ignore them. Live them out. Implement them as you serve him. 
And if you're interested in the idea of being an elder, please come and talk to me. I would encourage you to. And I'll even, I'll even give up of my time and I'll meet with you weekly, monthly, however it is. And, to, and we'll go over what scripture says about being a biblical leader. Because my desire is to help people who want to become elders be trained into this position, not just thrown into it and said, good luck. What is your desire? It's a noble task. So I would encourage you to encourage our elders. Pray for them. Send them cards. Come to them and just give them a hug if that's what you want to do at this time of <laughs> COVID. But they need encouragement. They need to know that people are behind them. Because what they are trying to do is to lead a church, and it's not an easy thing. It's a noble task. We all have responsibility to his kingdom as believers. So seek out his leading in all you do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity.